0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, with host, Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for these ongoing conversations, exploring how Indian Country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. We've all gone through so many changes, each person to their own degree, and in change, we learn a lot. We here at Minnesota Native News have launched several programs in response to the pandemic, which has been a great way to keep up connections and conversations with our communities in Minnesota. Today on the show, I'm joined once again by reporter, ally, and colleague, Melissa Townsend. We're going to take the time to do a review of months of wonderful conversations. We've interviewed several dozens of people across our various Minnesota Native news platforms since the pandemic began. Each and every voice has been so valuable. We've heard insights about passing the time while staying home more to healthy practices during the pandemic. And we've heard tales about how our animal friends are adjusting and who's cooking what at home. And during the blur of days in quarantine, we faced the tragedy of George Floyd's killing and the deep pain unearthed by confronting police brutality and long-standing racial inequities. Today, we'll reflect on the themes of rising to the challenge of the pandemic and having respect and consideration for the virus, all while coping with many unknowns so we'll highlight some voices from Native Lights Bidapi, which I co-host with Cole Primo, a fellow Mille Lacs band member, journalist, and my brother. We'll also hear voices from this show, COVID-19 Community Conversations, which Melissa Townsend has been a huge part of. Hello, Melissa. How are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing just fine. Thanks. So even though we're still in the pandemic, we're over four months in and many things have happened. With more information about the virus, we're able to venture out a bit more while taking more precautions and the right precautions than we would if we just carried on with life as usual pre-pandemic. A few months ago, so many of us felt confused and really vulnerable during these unprecedented times. Here's Vanessa Good Thunder from the Lower Sioux Indian community who spoke to me and Cole Primo on Native Lights, Bidapi.
2: You know, nobody's seen this. I asked an elder, you know, have you seen something like this in your lifetime? And I was just expecting them to say, you know, yeah, there's this one time. And she just said, no, I haven't seen anything like this in my whole life. And I was like, oh, dang. Okay, don't panic, Vanessa. (laughs) Um, Then another one just reminded me to remember prayer during this. And I think that's super helpful because sometimes when it gets to be crazy, we forget about that calmness that we need to have in that prayer um, because we we do have instincts to and resiliency to get through this. We've done it before as people. So that, that was a really nice reminder.
1: So Vanessa Good Thunder is such a great person to talk to, and she's first of many voices here on, on today's show uh, that we're going to look back on. And we heard this sentiment time and time again, each, each time in its own special way. And Vanessa summarizes it so nicely. This fight that we're in is something new across generations that are around today, though not to generations that have come before, uh, but there is this consistency, uh, the consistency of leaning on culture, leaning on prayer. And I know at the beginning here, especially when, when the pandemic first started, I was definitely burning sage, like just round the clock, just just lighten it up, getting it wafting through the house. And, you know, I'm kind of running out now. So I'm, I'm rationing a little bit. But, you know, at, at the beginning, like there was so much, I, I feel like there was so much more fear when there was so much unknown happening that um, we, now that we're kind of gaining a little bit more knowledge and stuff like that, I feel like we're in a little bit better place. I have turned to my faith community a bit
0: but I recently took a, a mindfulness class and it was mindfulness for stress mm. reduction. Hey. Yeah, it was pretty good timing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was really about all these different things to do to sort of separate yourself from your feelings. Um, mm. And it has been incredibly useful to, be in my physical body and remind myself that I am feeling fear, but that I am not filled with fear, you know. And and it's just a practice of trying to keep track of your feelings and having them be separate from your existence. And for me, it really ratchets down the stress level. So that's what's been useful for me, some of those strategies.
1: One of those things we often do to help feel better is getting together and, you know, having powwows and ceremonies and, um, parties. (laughs) But, you know, here we are unable to come together at a time when we need each other the most. All these things are canceled. Um, so we at Badapi spoke with our Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan from the White Earth Nation, and she had this to say.
2: It is counterintuitive, I think, to who we are as Native people to stay away from each other in times of crisis.
1: And I think that's certainly for
2: most people, but I think especially for our community. So what's been really helpful for me is in talking to friends, just reminders to go out and to put down our SEMA, to, to smudge when it all feels like too much. We have those medicines that keep us connected. And that's been really helpful for me. A dear friend, uh, my friend Sarah, sent me a care package that was just full of traditional tobacco and cedar. And it was maybe one of the greatest gifts I've ever received because the pressure and responsibility that that we are feeling now, but also just a reminder that uh, this is who we are and where we come from. And we have those tools to get through this together. And those are some of the things that can connect.
1: Us. This is such a lovely example of sharing and gifting medicines. And the culture is always present, right? But it's really been brought to the forefront of action and conversation right now is just uh, something that, you know, like I said before, it's we're leaning on and crisis is tough and made tougher, of course, by keeping distance. Uh, So how do we keep up those connections to support one another? Yeah,
0: I've had these experiences where, you know, just a couple of friends have been thoughtful at the right moment. And I just find myself weeping. (laughs) Because it's mm. just so powerful in this time of, you know, high stress crisis thinking to have somebody take the time and energy to just think about what you might need. Uh, it's just, yeah, powerful. Mm.
1: Yeah. That that makes me think even more about how can I reach mm. out to others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: You know, when we talked with um, Anishinaabe MC Tall Paul, uh, back in March for Badapi, I was really struck by the way he was dealing with his children. And he was being incredibly thoughtful and reassuring. So that was right when everything was just going into lockdown. And the Badape host, your brother, Cole Primo, <laughs> asked Tall Paul how he talks about the novel coronavirus with his son. And here's a little bit of that exchange.
3: If you don't mind me asking, like, how do you approach... Talking about this pandemic with your son, who's, like you said, 10 years old. So I just, uh, I don't sugarcoat anything. You know, I tell them what I know. My son is 12 and my girlfriend's son is 10. I'm getting their ages messed up. Both of these guys are concerned, like, oh, my God, are we going to get this? Well, if we get it, will we die? And stuff like that. You know, they're having these uh, these nervous breakdowns about it. And I'm just kind of mm-hmm. telling like. And I just tell them the truth about what I know, you know, like, yeah, this thing's serious. Yeah, we got to respect it. We got to clean ourselves, wash our hands often and be conscious of that kind of stuff.
0: To me, like that sounds so basic, just like I'm going to tell you what to do. But I, I just pictured him sort of like sitting down with them and talking to them one on one and treating them with dignity. And the other piece of what he said that struck me and has shaped all of my thinking since that conversation is how he said, you got to respect the virus. And it was such different energy than like being terrified of the virus or hating the virus or avoiding the virus. Like that idea of like when you respect it, how does that shape what you do? I think that's, that's just been interesting to me.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, being able to talk to his kids, like, so matter of fact, and being honest, and then combined with respecting the virus, it has this, like, proactive, measured feeling about it instead of, like, a frantic, you know, exhausted feeling that kind of compounds an already stressful situation. Um, So, yeah, having that respect just seems to allow you to think more clearly and be more conscious about how you're approaching it. So, yeah, for sure. And, that, you know, th- like you said, there were more people that brought up that topic of respecting the virus.
0: Yeah, when we talked with uh, Sharon Day, voice elder for this show a few weeks back, um, she told me about a phone call she had with elders who uh, live uh, in the eastern part of the United States. And they said every day, beginning with the new moon, they were going to make a tobacco tie. Early in the morning, and they were going to do that for 28 days. They said, You know, this virus has a spirit, and we have to speak to that spirit and ask for it to go to the outer reaches of the universe or to the depths of the ocean and to leave us alone. So, this was after we talked to Tall Paul. And, you know, to me, again, it was like an extension of respecting the virus and, and communicating with it. Go to the far reaches of the universe and the depths of the ocean, you know, and you can picture that and visualize that. And I think that's part of a mindfulness practice uh, in terms of how you're dealing with this thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like such a calmer way, yeah. a focused way. And, you know, there's wisdom in that beyond this virus, too, um, with things like threat and fear. Like, what, what is it? Like if you talk lovingly to yeah. a plant... Like it grows better. Or if you talk nasty to a plant, like it doesn't grow so well. So, like, I mean, how can that be applied in all areas of our lives, including respecting theirs? Exactly. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. Today, we're taking the time to reflect on some of the many voices we at Minnesota Native News have heard during our time reporting through the pandemic. We've just heard how respecting the virus will help us through this time. If we respect the virus, we acknowledge it and act accordingly we can help keep our communities as healthy as possible. Joining me today is reporter and ally Melissa Townsend, who has been on this journey with me talking with folks in native communities around Minnesota. Now we're going to talk about a few of many ways we've seen our relatives be proactive during this time. I must admit, sometimes I just want to give up, just turn off my brain and go limp with the overwhelm I'm feeling. But I know I'm not alone. Cheryl Whitehawk is Lakuta Ray Ojibwe and an addiction counselor at the American Indian Family Center in St. Paul. She works with a new program called Kunchi Onakan, and that name is a combination of Ojibwe Moen and the Dakota language that in English translates to grandmother's arms. It's a culturally based chemical health program or an outpatient treatment program for Native women. But just as the American Indian Family Center was getting the license for the program, the pandemic shut down normal operations. Cheryl Whitehawk shared with me here on COVID-19 Community Conversations about how switching to distance gatherings had its advantages alongside the challenge of not being together in the same room.
4: I'm surprised at how we're able to still get a lot of needs met this way, and in some ways, I think it's made it easier for some people because you don't have to worry about, you know, hurry up, get up in the morning, get your kids ready, you know, take them to child care, get to treatment, whatever it might be. We don't have to worry about transportation. We provide the women with phone or um, a tablet so that and the and the Internet service so that they can be a part when they first come. If they're shy, they don't have to turn on their video. You know, um, we're learning how to sing traditional songs together and they can be on mute and nobody has to hear them and so i i i encourage them all the time i said you can belt it out ladies this is where this is the best way to learn how to sing you know traditional and ceremonial songs and the women that we're working with so far are responding really well they're even saying despite the fact that we're not in the same room together, that it's feeling like a family.
1: That's so cool. Belt it out, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's just like this release and learning and celebration of culture that is really great. And, you know, technology has been a real gift during this time. And not saying that it's necessarily a replacement because it just, it really can't be. But technology has been a tool to help us maintain connection, maintain our health, like telemedicine, online sober groups, and these communities that support each other in their journey of health and healing are so crucial.
0: I agree. Technology can really fill a gap here. There's some things, you know, you can't do, of course, as you said, but um, there are lots of places where this is what we've got. And so we can really make it work. Um, You know, Dennis Jones works with Cheryl Whitehawk at the American Indian Family Center in St. Paul. And uh, we also talked to him. He's an Anishinaabe elder and healer. And, um, you know, when he talks about mental health, I was actually pretty surprised at his thoughts about how to pay attention to your mental health during this incredibly stressful time. Uh, and this is a little bit of our conversation. I mean, we know that there are families, many families of all backgrounds and cultures that have dysfunction and that have toxicity. And in this time of isolation where we're at home and and not being able to go out and get outside resource, people can be really trapped in that in a way. What's your perspective on on how to handle that?
5: First of all, you have to admit to yourself that you're part of the problem. You have to admit that you created the dysfunction. Whenever you blame somebody else, you can't change that. You know, you can't change... uh, Anything that's outside of you, the real change occurs on the inside. So when families are are, uh, fighting with each other, when there's dysfunction in the family, then you got to heal the family first. And the, the best way to do that is just be an example, being be example of the healing that needs to occur and then take charge with it. Like tell yourself, I am the one that created this. I am part of this. That's where the solution is.
0: Do you feel like people need outside resource for
5: that? I think people need to uh, go inwards. Everybody is inherently born with knowledge. Everybody inherently knows who they are. Where By virtue of their birth, they are ordained to do the spiritual work. They just need to lift the veil. So this awakening is all about lifting the veil.
0: I feel like the people I've talked to who've been able to make incredible changes in their lives have had people come into their lives to help them do that.
5: When you look at yourself and you look and you count on yourself, then you can allow other people in. Uh, then when, when you are working with yourself, then when this, like like the old adage, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear.
4: Yeah.
5: Like all the people that are going to help you with your life, all of a sudden will appear. You attract them.
0: I have to say it was a real aha moment for me uh, to take responsibility for a situation and take charge and feel like you have the power to do something about it. You know, personally, in my upbringing and in the dominant culture, there's a deep sense of powerlessness. I can't do anything about these big problems. I can't do anything about um, my situation but he's saying that when you decide and believe that you could do something, you'll get the help you need to do it. And I think that, that just calls on a real faith in the universe and a real faith in the creator.
1: Yeah, it. you know, I have to say, I could just listen to this on repeat and be reminded of that. I need to just have this clip and listen to it every morning, you know, to be like, you, you have the capability within you the knowledge inside you. And it's so, I it's, it, it feel like so many times we look to outside sources. Um, so that's really, really encouraging to hear that. And I love this taking responsibility, right? It, it's a proactive act. There's like hope there. There's actually like something you can do. And like Dennis Jones says, we can be a part of the solution. So wearing masks, washing our hands, keeping our distance, limiting our outings to places where there are lots of people or people are congregating and so on. It's, that is something we can do. We can take responsibility to help keep our communities healthy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I also talked to Isabella Star LeBlanc. She's Sisseton, in Wapiton, Dakota and a stage and screen actress and poet. So speaking of responsibility, we had such a great discussion during which we talked about the responsibility of the artist, which I believe anybody can be and everybody possibly is without even knowing it. So we talked about the responsibility of the artist to keep creating, especially now.
3: So it's been, I think, a really interesting conversation that I've been having with myself and has also been having in the community, especially with, in light of what's been happening in Minneapolis after George Floyd's murder, um, is this idea of what our responsibility is to our communities in times of crisis, and um, that I think a lot of theaters have decided that, that we haven't been able, or that we can't do what we're used to doing, so we're just not going to do anything, when I think that's really goes against what I think is our responsibility to people, that as artists, that in the hardest times, we have to find ways to adapt, and we have to find ways to um, be able to show up.
1: So, What do you think that looks like right now? You know, I would be lying if I said I knew, <laughs>
3: but <I'm, laughs> I think we're all still trying to figure it out, and And I think a lot of ways for me that has turned into writing. Um, And I, again, I don't know necessarily what the end goal is, but I do just feel a responsibility to keep telling stories and to keep telling stories that I want to be heard. And I do think that, Really, the work right now is making sure that we move forward with a set of ground rules on what we need from institutions and systems and buildings, that what we need in order to move forward in a good way, in a way that makes us feel supported and makes our communities feel supported, that um, we kind of have an opportunity right now, as everything's as the Theodos have gone dark, we have a opportunity to say, okay, when we're back, that if you want us to come back with you, when you turn your lights back on, this is what you have to give us. And this is what you have to promise us. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's a really powerful moment, even though a lot of What's going on right now feels pretty powerless and out of our control, but it is exciting to think that whatever comes next, we get to build.
1: That's just so incredibly motivating to me. So our stories have been attempted to be, I'll say, uh, silenced and erased in the past. So we know how imperative it is to carry on and raise our voices and others' voices. And throughout these past illnesses, past pandemics or epidemics, colonization, assimilation, even attempted annihilation uh, we've endured and our stories have endured.
0: Yeah. I really like the way she says, uh, yeah, I'd be lying if I knew how to go ahead and figure out how to do, do mm. this in this particular time in this particular way. And, you know, to me, it's like so much of this is a big act of faith in the future and optimism, mm-hmm. you know? So I just love that. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe in this and I'm going to think through this, even though I have no idea how, I like that.
1: Yeah. Like there's, you have your values, you know what you need to do one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and just go, keep, keep walking. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know, the other day I looked at this piece of paper that's hanging on this bulletin uh, board in my office and it was like goals that I had set for myself. I don't, it doesn't have a date. I have no idea when I put it up there, but I looked and I was like, oh, three of those things have happened. Hey, isn't that cool? Hey. <laughs> yeah. I I really do believe in that, just sort of like setting an intention. It
1: sounds hooky-dooky, but I think it's
0: powerful, you know?
1: I don't think it's hooky-dooky at all because you have an intention, right? And if you, it's like you're not necessarily like, it's not going to materialize by itself just from asking for it. But in the act of asking for it and intentionalizing it, if that's a word, uh, your actions then can fall in line to make that happen. So you're still doing the work.
0: Yeah, on some level you've made a decision um, and it does guide your behavior whether you realize it or not. That kind of gets to this next clip I wanted to share from um, Anishinaabe elder, uh, Red Laker, uh, Robert Desjardins. So, you know, in the midst of this pandemic and this time of crisis, as Isabella mentioned, after George Floyd was killed by police, I wanted to hear his thoughts on this moment in time that I've heard some people call the time of the Phoenix or the time of the seventh fire. Uh, do you, f- you know, I've talked with a number of people who feel like this is a very important moment in history, what's happening right now. I was talking with Missy Whiteman the other day, who was saying, People are saying this is the time of the phoenix. Do you have thoughts on that, or are you feeling something about that?
6: Well, what I look at, we have our seven fires prophecy, and it's said that during the time of the seventh fire, a new people will emerge, and they'll go back and look at the mistakes that happened in the past. They'll go to elders to regain the knowledge that they lost. And from that, they'll reshape the world and they'll light the eighth and final fire. It will be the time when everybody, regardless of race, will come together. But people can also get lost on the path to the seventh fire, and they can turn to more destructive ways. There's going to be a point where either the new people will emerge and their beliefs will become incorporated into our society or the other people who choose not to follow that kind of path will overcome that and will just go back into time of darkness.
0: Hmm. I was feeling so good when he was talking about the seventh fire and then he says, but. (laughs) (laughs) People get lost. And, you know, he just um, brings light to the very real fact that we are making choices, that those mm-hmm. choices impact not only our lives, but the lives of everybody else and how the world moves forward. And so you can't just think that, you know, this time of, of enlightenment and, and uh, anti-racism work is going to just set itself upon us. We have to do the work. We have to make the choices, which is both, you know, good and hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know how to comprehend the level of commitment that we need to do, but it can happen if each and every one of us takes our part and does our part. So we all have the ability and the knowledge to make this positive impact by taking care of one another with our own mindful and responsible actions. I agree. Well, thank you, Melissa, for... <laughs> Talking to me today, always fun. It's uh, always, fun. it's been so fun in our COVID nineteen community conversations. Um, so, thank you for coming on and sharing what has been meaningful to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today, Chimigwech. All of these voices help me reflect on what's significant in my life, and reminds me that I matter, that we all matter, our choices and our stories matter mine, and yours. Giga Wabaman, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem.
0: Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.